Hello, painters. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us one last time in the Yumi Book Club. We've had so much fun going back over this incredibly dense Cosmere book, learning and staying with Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. I still think one of the most beautiful. It's truly so much in this book. It goes so deep. We are going to have to come back and revisit. These episodes have always been our like instant reaction to the secret projects, whatever one, two, three, four, it happens to be. This is a moment in time, but I definitely think that we're going to be revisiting. Maybe we need to do like a year of Sanderson debrief. Exactly. After we've completed all of the book clubs, then we'll go back and then be like, okay, with all of this information, let's put it all together. What does it mean? Yeah, I think there's building aspects of the Cosmere going on here with the secret projects. We know that they were a surprise and they were, you know, done because of COVID and Emily. And we've talked about that so many times now. But we also have to imagine that Brandon wanted to accomplish something in moving the Cosmere story forward. And he used these secret projects to do that in small offshoot ways, but ways that we should expect are going to come back into the main story, like Aethers, for example, in Tress. Yeah, I think these function a little bit like the novellas that occur in between books of the Stormlight Archive, where, yes, they are standalone stories, but they are adding depth and context and important information to the main storyline. Let's take a moment to set us in time because we are recording this on October 1st year of the Sanderson. You all know what that means. We have just gotten Secret Project 4. We are going to be making our way through that over the next couple of weeks and eventually starting for the patrons first, the Secret Project number 4 book club no spoilers not even names not at this time yes we will not be including any information from that we haven't even read that much to include any information not too much to spoil yet (laughs) but just in case we're not even going to say the title of that but secret project number four is out this will be our last yumi book club episode and then you can expect on patreon us to be starting up the secret project number four book club in just a couple of weeks here probably in October of Year of the Sanderson. For now, let's continue focusing on Yumi and the Nightmare Painter because we have at long last come to what is usually our final episode of a series, all of the Cosmere Connections. Now, this book is, as we've said, quite dense in terms of Cosmere Connection, but this episode is going to be focusing specifically on the world hoppers that exist in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, starting with Hoyd, who has an incredibly interesting role, different than we have ever seen him. Incapable of movement. And speech. Lacking all (laughs) ability to weave a story, and yet he still weaves a story together. And that's where I'd kind of like to start us. The question I would of like, like to place us in time first. That's good. Okay. Because Set as first. we just said, these books sort of fitting into uh the greater Cosmere, I suspect that this story at the very least takes place after Stormlight Archive 4, probably after Stormlight Archive 5 as well. I mean, and then in between that and, like, let's say, Tress of the Emerald Sea, who the heck knows what is happening? Yeah, or how much time passes there. Exactly. But I think or suspect that this story happens before Tress of the Emerald Sea because design is still with Hoyd during the events of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, and we didn't see design in Tress of the Emerald Sea, which I don't think I realized until now, but maybe we mentioned that in the Tress Book Club. It makes a lot of sense that they are unified and that after such a long time away, 
during Yumi, which takes three years of Hoyd's life and Design's life as well, that there may be a reason for separation. We don't know how Design is getting off planet. Currently, we think that's impossible for Spren. They managed to do it. And so the question is like, what changes? We don't know if Design has to return to Rashar if they're called back in some way. I mean, quite a bit. Yeah, we see quite a bit of advancement in terms of capabilities in Yumi. So again, that sort of categorization of like, it happens after Stormlight 5 could be anywhere in, you know, thousands of years, potentially. I am really curious about the overall timeline. We talked previously in the book club about a user and the 17th Shard who's putting together a comprehensive timeline. And I think that's going to continually be beneficial going forward, especially as these secret projects may have been released in different orders right. than they take Right, then they place. actually occur. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so we'll, in that debrief, you know, next year, past the year of Sanderson, we'll come back to all the secret projects and hopefully have a little bit more context, maybe some context that we'll be picking up at Dragonsteel Convention this Ooh, year. Yeah, maybe. Tell me a little bit more about Hoyd's purpose, Design's purpose, like what is going on with them in Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Hoyt and Design originally came to the planet specifically to study how weird uh, the nightmares are and like this phenomenon of nightmares emerging from a cloud of raw investiture, which seems pretty unique or at least somewhat unique. And so Hoyt and Design have come here to investigate that. However, as we know, as soon as they arrived on the planet, Hoyd was, as he says, frozen in time. Quote, I arrived on the planet and immediately frozen place, unable to move, end quote. And then is turned into a hat rack, whimsically. <laughs> Not the planet of whimsy, but the hat rack Hoyd is definitely the most whimsical thing we see yeah. <laughs> in Yumi in the Nightmare Painter. I find it so intriguing that they know of the nightmares like off world yeah. there's some you know i i can't tell if there's other world hoppers who are bringing the message well, off of yes Kamashi. yes but i want to just focus on hoyden and design for a moment and then we're going to talk about like how frequented this planet seems to be by world hoppers yeah, but clearly frequented enough that word is getting out about the Shroud because it got out to Hoyd and Design, motivating them to show up. And then the instant that Hoyd shows up, he's frozen in place purposefully, which is a revelation we have at the end of the story. Hoyd says this, quote, remember that time I got my memory stolen? Yes, it was hilarious. It was humiliating, I said. I instituted protection protocols to defend me if something tried to play games with my soul. When we landed here, that machine tried to draw my investiture. My protocols activated. End quote. So he built in a defense network, a, a mini Jarvis, if you will. Seemingly because of what we see at the end of Rhythm of War with Odium messing with his memory. Definitely seems to be referring directly to that moment. And we know that Hoyd has his memory somehow tied up in his investiture, maybe his breath specifically. And so I kind of think that he also used a little bit of Elantrian hacking programming. You know how a... He's not an Elantrian at I this know. point. I don't think. We think that Tress happens later. He knows of Elantrians, though. He's been to the world, and he experiences the magic. And there's some aspect that he has built a defense network that operates without his conscious ability, right? As if it's a program just waiting yeah. to be turned on by an attack. It's a trap, yeah. He's just, like, set up a little... Uh... You know, like a rabbit trap. A simple stick and box. Yeah. And the father machine reaches out, tripping yeah, the stick, it. and yeah. then is Hoyt himself trapped inside the box. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, you can't get me. Exactly. <laughs> I'll just stay inside this box now of <laughs> copper frozen in time Hoyt. Yeah. But what happens next leads to the entire story because Hoyt is trapped within that box of himself. 
he seemingly should not be able to have influence outside of himself. Yeah. I mean, this was my first question, right? If we go back to the first episode of the Yumi Book Club, I was like, I don't really understand how Hoyt is able to tell this story. And I don't really like that he is technically the narrator. And the explanation that we're given, which I find unsatisfying, and maybe it's purposefully so, Hoyd says he's able to, well, at first he started hearing voices from Painter more clearly, um, supposedly because Painter is like closer physically to Hoyd. And then more distantly, he's also able to hear Yumi. And then at some point, he's also able to see images sort of painted into his mind. And he says, quote, like they were, well, painted for me in magenta and teal directly into my brain. Sometimes I saw what happened as faint representations, just two lines vaguely in the shapes of people. Other times I saw paintings or full motion images. I seem to have some control over which it became depending on my level of attention, end quote. I want to stop and really explore this because I think it's kind of the sum total of all the questions we've been having. As you said, one of the very first questions you had, and then everything that we discussed in this book club about the father machine and the high on lines, the spirits and the nightmares, cognitive shadows, it kind of all seems to be swirling back to what Hoyd is experiencing here. He is getting images in magenta and teal, which to me is the high on lines. He I is, think magenta and teal is just the color of investiture on Komashi. That's totally fair. Yeah. He is being told the story of painter Yumi Leon. He is being like presented it as the high on lines also present. Yeah, like the television. The television show. And I think what is going on, this is my complete speculation, but the answer to the question of like, what is happening to Hoyd is that he shows up on the planet with a deep gravity well of investiture. He's so like heavily invested that he is an abnormality, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the planetary investiture represented by the high on lines naturally like flows to him like water. And I think is somehow communicating with this cognitive part of Hoyd. The thing that is still conscious over these three years is basically having a cognitive realm conversation only with the spirits I guess via I just, the high on I still don't really understand how that is actually like happening, though. You know, like what is the practicality? The practical application or like how does it physically happen what's yeah, your question both like is he being touched by two high on lines and that's why they can like speak directly into his brain or like how is he connecting to the investiture on the planet especially when most of the investiture is tied up in the father machine it's not really just like floating around freely or else i would say like Spirits probably just saw him and were like, hey, let's talk to this guy. He's really invested. But all of the spirits are being held captive by the machine. Yes, and I think that there is a lot of questionable control that the father machine has on the spirits. Leun being the primary example. Leun's not a spirit, though. Leun is a nightmare, which is different. Mm, but okay, I understand. I'm glad that you bring up Leun because this is even a further complication. Later on in the book, much later, he admits that he actually wasn't only seeing through the eyes of Painter and Yumi, but it actually started with Leun. And he says, quote, I think that the spirits were watching Lee Yoon in particular. Then some irregularities about my specific nature tapped into the spiritual communication, letting me see what was happening, end quote. So there is some type of spiritual communication happening between question mark and Lee Yoon. And Hoyd sort of inserts himself into the middle of that communication, which still doesn't really explain to me why he would see, like, 
both sides of the story, why he would see Yumi and Painter while they're in Yumi's world and while they're in Painter's world. I think that what is going on is that the spirits who we know at the end of the story kind of like take up the role of if you compensate us and don't treat us as slaves, we will continue to operate your society. Yeah. I think those spirits are interested in the fact that a storyteller of Hoyd's note has arrived on their planet and wants to tell him the coolest story that they know of, which is Leun's because of the 1700 years that she has been reincarnated to play this role, she is on the verge of breaking free. And if she breaks free, then Yumi can break free and the father of machine mm. can be destroyed. The setup is this is going on on their planets. The spirits are already interested in Leon. They're already aware of the Yokihijo's capture and imprisonment by the father machine is it the spirits like the little blobs because the quote just says there's some type of spiritual communication happening i think that spiritual communication is hoy talking specifically about his ability to witness or view what is going on and i think that's because the spirits are interested in leon painter and yumi they're in some way setting all of this up. So the like spirits are able to watch everyone on the planet, even though they are currently enslaved. And then Hoyd just like watches their feed, basically. I think that's correct. That Hoyd is basically viewing what they are already interested in. Like the, the spiritual energy, the investiture mm -hmm. is being directed at this grand play that is going on, this really cool thing that's happening on their planet. All the spirits are interested. And Hoyd, because he's so heavily invested, is basically able to like extend himself out a little bit, enough to tap into the high onlines or whatever, the spiritual energy, the investiture of the planet. And so he too is like piggybacking on the spirits viewing the story going right. on. And we know that the spirits are kind of motivated by virtuosity by creation yeah. and by storytelling. And so I think that their focus is basically attuned to Painter and Yumi's story. I and wonder Hoyd if Hoyd is able to radio drop in. I wonder if Hoyd was able to do this because he is similar to the spirits and that he is also attracted to creativity and like emotion. <laughs> I don't think that's that far off and I they're think like your soul kind of looks like ours <laughs> come party with us yeah they're light weavers right come to our super bowl party basically we're like all gathered around watching this story happen we did a whole like five episodes on the stories that hoyd tells and now finally someone gets to say you be the audience <laughs> watch our show we actually froze you in place specifically <laughs> so that you would have to sit there and stop like, talking no no watch this yeah <laughs> we want to show off and I don't think it's that direct or that yeah, of course. specific, but yeah. I do think that Hoyt is functionally piggybacking on what the spirits are already interested in. And that's how he's able to view it and eventually regurgitate this story yeah. to the Rasharans. I think that's a fine explanation. I don't really like it just as, again, like a literary convention, but I guess it's fine. <laughs> Let's move on to design. And how she has changed since we saw her last, because she's changed quite a bit. Yes. As you said, design was not apparent in Tress, even though Hoyd was such a huge part of that book. And we've been led to believe that once bonded, Radiant and Spren cannot easily separate. But we also believe that design couldn't get off world. So clearly exactly. a lot that we know about that bond may not necessarily be true as we move forward in the chronological timeline yeah did the thing that allowed them to go off world also allow them to operate more independently independently yeah and, and like i'm curious the thing that keeps coming to mind for me is in elantris people who were bonded to a Sion before they become hoed or i think even just after they go through the riad they're Sion also gets affected and just bobs around in sort of a listless, like catatonic way. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm just curious if when Hoyd was cursed, did something like that also happen to design? And so they weren't necessarily completely separated. They might still have a bond, but they're both sort of like floating aimlessly rather than being more actively pulled together. And That's so an design is just sort of like bopping around somewhere also like somewhat crazy or delusional or something. And then maybe when Hoyd is relieved of his curse, design also is relieved and then they can like find each other again. Maybe. Yeah. That's not a bad example because we've seen Syl devolve when Kaladin is not at his best mentally and living up to his oaths. Syl kind of withdraws back in and becomes more windspread like maybe when Hoyd was cursed design reverted in a way where she just hid you know yeah. and she was maybe around as like a little design on the ship the whole time but was not cognizantly designed mm. anymore i feel like there would have been some type of literary mention of trust seeing a pattern if design was there and i don't recall seeing that but listeners if you recall seeing something like that in Tress, give us a shout out. Now, jumping over to Kamashi and design situation here, she's owning a noodle shop. This is a working woman. She's out there. She has a body. Well, yes, she is also fully interacting, although I think people kind of know there's something suspect about design. Yeah. There is also... She's not super good at being human. (laughs) Yeah, let's go over to the quote. A little bit of a long one, but it's a fun one. Let's play around with it. Quote, design did not do a good job acting human. I take no blame as she repeatedly refused my counsel on the matter. At least her disguise was holding up. People did wonder why the strange noodle shop woman had long white hair, despite appearing to be in her early 20s. She wore tight dresses, and many of the painters had crushes on her. She insisted, you see, that I make her disguise particularly striking. Or, well, I should say it in her words. Make me pretty so they'll be extra disturbed if my face ever unravels. And give me voluptuous curves, because they remind me of a graft cosine. And also because boobs look fun. It wasn't an actual body. We all kind of learned our lesson on that, but rather a complicated wireframe light weaving with force projections attached directly to her cognitive element as it manifested in the physical realm, end quote. Lots of fun things in that quote. I particularly like that design wanted to look like a graft cosine. (laughs) And also because boobs look fun. Yeah. Which everybody, I think, agrees to. I love this fact that there is a progression, an evolution, an understanding, and like a changing of design over time. They want to become more human. We knew that from Syl's relationship, like becoming more cognizant, becoming more herself, and design seemingly taking that further, wanting more and more of a physical body. Yeah, and we've seen some progress or at least explore exploration being made to that end in Rhythm of War. How so? Tell me about it. Ishar's uh, experiments that mm-hmm. are unveiled and it seems he's trying to take the way that they appear in the cognitive realm and make it manifest physically in the physical realm. But that does not work because their cognitive bodies don't follow the laws of physics in the physical world and they are all like terrible dead experiments yeah it's not a pretty picture (laughs) which i'm assuming is what hoyt is saying here by we all kind of learned our lesson on that like we can't actually make them an actual body but hoyt has figured out sort of a way around that by using force projections attached directly to her cognitive element as it manifested in the physical realm. Can we break that down at all? Yeah, let's take that step by step because I think this is an evolution of the ability that we see with Shallan. Yes. She is able to put a light weaving onto pattern and then pattern moves around and pattern the light weaving. Pattern sort of just acts as an anchor exactly, for it. Exactly, an anchor. He is like the uh, the weight at the bottom of the balloon. Yes, and kind of like keeping it kind of grounded. Yeah. And seemingly, he's also able to give it some 
motion, you know, Shalon sketches movement frame mm-hmm. by frame type of thing. And then I mean, pattern, he just moves. He just moves. And then the image does what the image walks. does. Right, yeah. exactly. But I think that the specific difference that we have here with design is that design wants to fill in what would be that light weaving. And Hoyd describes it as a complicated wireframe light weaving. And so that's kind of step one. I imagine design, if she's acting as the anchor, just on the ground, Hoyd builds a lattice of light weaving up from design's physical form, the like little mm-hmm. embossed Her little image. pattern. Yes, the pattern that is design. Hoyd builds on top of that a wireframe lattice giving vague shape, almost like if you've seen Foundation or Westworld, how like the robots sometimes underneath have just a a frame that makes up their skeleton. It's not really like how human skeletons look, because that would be silly to make an exact copy of all of our flaws. They instead have kind of like a frame exoskeleton covered in some skin or muscle or whatnot. That's how I imagine it, but just built out of light. And then the force projection part is what we see Shalon and even Yasna do, Shalon specifically at the, the Battle of Thalen Field, like giving her light weavings mm. weight yeah. and force. More substance. Substance. Hoyd basically providing that shape and the design says, I would be happy to fill that and takes over it more fully and then she has Mm. control and is maybe not restricted in the same way that shallan's drawings are where it can like only walk as shallan animates i think the design has full ability like more a robot sentience dropped into the physical robot yeah that's almost what i think is going on a huge difference from what we've seen so far and i'm curious how much of that is simply down to hoyd's experience and his many centuries, likely, of doing things like light weaving and how much of it is truly new discovery of possibility. Both are going on. We should expect a lot of new discoveries, you know, combinations of abilities is something Brandon played around with a lot in Mistborn Era 2 and is continually always kind of keeping in the background of all the other magic systems with resonant points. Yeah, So I would expect, you know, Hoyd, someone who would have multiple magic systems stacked on top of one another, is also learning new things about how those magic systems interact. And then he has the knowledge of the deep Cosmere and maybe like Yolish light weaving. Right. Yeah. Operates maybe closer to like wireframe light weaving because it's, you know, I've seen like some people talk about the sand magic and mastery on Taldane being used to like shape things in a storytelling way. Like you wouldn't, we didn't see this in the actual comic, but the idea that like you could make a a 3d model of a person kind of Mm, walk around with enough sand mastery. Yeah. And maybe that's kind of more what Yolish light weaving is. It's kind of like, you know, drawing up a a more physical force. Well, we think we see Yolish light weaving in Warbreaker when Hoyd tells Ciri uh, the story. And he uses sand then, right? Or like Uh, a dust? I think it's just smoke. Yeah, it's like different color powders that sort of color the smoke coming out of a fire, I think. That sounds right to my memory. Basically that Hoyd might have other known light weaving or magic abilities yeah. that allow him to imagine doing this now that he has the bond with design. Of course. Another fun fact about design is that she is able to see and slightly modify spirit webs. We uh, especially see her do this in extending the leash between Yumi and Painter. Um, And she says that that's kind of the extent of what she can do on her own. But she has a device that can do all of these things with more power or precision. A device that can manipulate spirit webs sounds very dangerous. And I am curious what that device is. If I was going to guess, I would say that the mother of machines made that device. Ooh, love it. (laughs) 
That's Navani for all the folks following along. Obviously. <laughs> Have we said hashtag all spoilers all the time yet in, uh, you know, the 35 minutes that we've been talking? We, for I think the first time, hear a description of a spirit web. Quote, design stretching something glowing between her fingers like a cord made of light, a glowing rope whose ends vanished into nothing. End quote. I imagine her like holding a cat's cradle, mm, you know? <laughs> that's fun. I was kind of thinking about the images of like the the fates with the threads yeah, but they usually of only existence. have one thread. Yes, a single thread representing a single person's life yeah. is normally how it's shown. But if you imagine then everybody's threads together, like I've also seen it on a loom type of thing oh, with like yeah. all the threads coming off and then like spiraling together mm -hmm. to like make up the pattern or whatnot. And you could like pick apart a single thread that yeah. would represent one person. That's kind of how I see design. Like she had twirled a thread around her fingers and was kind of playing it with like cat's cradle as yeah. making the shapes and whatnot. Is there maybe one of the cat's cradle secondary positions that is called like the spirit web? <laughs> I feel like that's that's just waiting to be invented. I don't remember learning that one. If you did, the description might go something like this. Quote, your spirit web design was saying knows what body is yours. It remains connected to it. You see, you form connections like that with everyone and to a lesser extent, everything you've known. Nifty, eh? End quote. This is the sort of explanation around Yumi and Painter's body swap and why they are appearing the way that they appear, etc. Which is very interesting that there is a connection between your spirit web and your body. I think that makes perfect sense. The web, you know, entangled around the physical body. We've talked a lot about the importance of the connection between three realms, physical, yeah. cognitive, and spiritual, and maybe the disastrous implications of someone who has severed the connections to their physical body, losing out on this description that design mm, is talking about yeah losing out on the connection maybe to everything that is physical the whole world like she's saying and to a lesser extent everything yeah if you are a cognitive shadow only who has been separated from their physical body you might be separated from all connections to the physical world and then what are you left with you are left with kelsier in i mean kelsier was already a psychopath <laughs> And then now he's just like incapable of making connections to anyone. That's what I'm worried about. It's not necessarily what we saw in The Lost Metal, where he had clearly advanced to what we would label as Thytokar. But yeah. I think I'm worried about that regard, especially when it comes to the conversations that he had with Harmony and the kind of like vague threats. Th well, the threats seem yeah. kind of obvious, but like the vague <laughs> recollection of, hey, man. I killed our quote unquote God, Lord ruler before. I ain't got no problem with you. Or if I want to go to that step, I can. And he's currently not there. But like, what does that mean for the future? How does that develop? Yeah. And does he continually, you know, push harder on the ghost bloods aspect in his quest to like recover more of what he was? Because he still wants the power. He wants to be misborn again and he is not. And that's yeah, clearly important. But yeah, I don't know if he has any connections, really. And I think that a person who doesn't have connections and maybe can't form connections is always someone to be afraid of. Yeah, I think it's dangerous. And I think maybe he can still have connections because he can have cognitive realm connections. He can have spiritual connections. But I do think he's still dangerous because those are warped they're missing a whole leg of the tripod and a tripod yeah. without one leg cannot stand like he is in a precarious situation i think and one of the things that was mentioned earlier about we learned our lesson trying to put design into a physical body yeah might also apply to kelsey or that's who is what now i was Thytokar. just thinking uh because if you're 
spirit web knows what body is yours. Mm-hmm. I imagine that even if you have hemolurgically stapled your cognitive aspect into a new physical body, there's going to be some situation of like organ transplant rejection. Yeah, that's a great call. The yeah. rejection. Where there's going to be something in your spirit web that is just always going to resist being in this body because it knows that it's not right. And the organ might be placed in the body. The hemolurgic spike might have done the piercing necessary. Yeah, like the spike is literally just keeping it there, but that doesn't mean that the spirit web isn't like, what Resisting, right? <laughs> yeah. It's pulling apart. It doesn't want to be part of this fake body, this other body. Yeah. Because it knows that it had a connection to another body and it's not this one. Yeah. And we definitely do not think that Kelsier like had his old body dug up. Oh my god, that would be terrible. And he's zombie. I don't Kelsier. think so. We, yeah. I and mean, I think we joked a long time ago about like zombie Kelsier. I mean, he is still a zombie. Like I was still would categorize him as a zombie as this weird like living dead thing. I'm just hoping that he got a fresher corpse. I think he did get a fresh Frankenstein. Yeah, I think he got a situation. fresh body. He probably specifically killed someone. To be honest, he probably was like, yeah, that one. I want that one. And then anyone who's noble, just, oh, you're going to little uppity. I'm going to take you for my body. (laughs) Or specifically not a nobleman. He was like, I'm not taking a nobleman's body. Yeah, gross. (laughs) What we do see on Thydekar are the scars. That is the trick kind of early on or the reveal early on is that the scars up the arm are present on. But that's not difficult to just make them again. I'm not saying it's difficult to make them again. I'm saying he may not have needed to make them again because his spirit web might have been so connected to the scars. It it like wrote onto the new body. Yes. It basically Hmm. like created the scars because maybe Kelsier needs the scars to be Kelsier. Yeah. I mean, we know that there is a connection between how someone views themselves Mm -hmm. and how they appear. And we see that in how like different knights radiant are healed or not healed when they become radiant, depending on how they perceive themselves. So, yeah, I would imagine Kelsier would imagine himself with his scars. Can his cognitive aspect make that manifest on a body that's not his own that's the question and it seems like the answer is yes but i think that's still a question let's go over to another world hopper who struggles with this aspect of filling up a human body yeah being human and covering up some of the scars of their actual self We haven't talked about her yet, and you've all been waiting for it, I know. We are going to finally talk about Masaka, a.k.a. Chinik Dakorich, the 60th horde of the Natritakith strain. That's a fun name that I will be simplifying to Masaka. Yeah, she would prefer that anyway, so Masaka says thank you. Masaka's a young sleepless, and they prefer to identify as the human girl that we see, kind of a maybe slightly foreboding Wednesday Adams-esque vibe. Yeah, she's got a real Wednesday thing going on. She wears all black. She's usually kind of keeping to herself, just like drawing, and she can come off quite severe when Yumi meets her for the first time. Uh, but inside she seems quite sweet and she says, quote, human girls like cute things. We like cute things. She looked up and almost seemed ready to cry. We made such a good human. You can't even see the seams on our skin so long as we wear makeup and clothing with long neck portions. The trick is to make the entire face in one piece. Took years of breeding, end quote. I find the sleepless society so interesting yeah the glimpses that brandon keeps giving us we saw it in don shard we now see it again with masaka in the regular stormlight archive books we get hints about the sleepless clearly brandon wants them to be part of the cosmere in a bigger way and then we have this person who is kind of a rebellious version or at least an isolated version yeah 
Yeah, her story is very interesting just in the life that she has chosen to pursue. Before we get to that, can I just drop in a couple of other like funny tidbits about her personality? Yeah, and her of course. Wednesday Adamsness. <laughs> Does she play the instrument very intensely? Unfortunately, no. Uh, but she is truly obsessed with so-called cute things and she gifts yumi uh, a picture of a bunny that is supposed to be cute but it has these like creepy black hole eyes and then she also gifts yumi a knife that she says is very good for like disemboweling shelled organisms but it's cute because it has flowers on the handle see cute (laughs) it's so funny that to me was the most Wednesday-esque <laughs> vibe of the roommate that she stays with in the Netflix yeah, TV yeah, show. Yeah. Just being like, I got you this knife for disemboweling your enemies. It has flowers. So it's cute. It's cute. <laughs> but yes, the life that she is living is specifically to avoid conflict and avoid war. She says, quote, Don't tell anyone what we are, please, Masaka said. We are tired of people being scared of us. We are tired of wars. We like painting. Please, end quote. This to me is the most heartbreaking realization. Yeah. Because from my perspective, the sleepless have been avoiding wars. They have been Mm. in hiding. They maybe experienced wars in their past, but this long you know, shroud that's been covering the sleepless homeland of Amia hints to this concept of like them in the darkness. So what I'm worried about is that Stormlight 5 is going to bring them out of the darkness in a way. Mm. And that- I don't know if we know that Amia is their homeland. Not necessarily homeland. We but know definitely that they are all over the Cosmere. Right. And we know that they have been actively engaged in this protection campaign uh, of the dawn shards and so i imagine that even though they are in the background they're kind of in a cold war exactly, so like yes they war. are like quote unquote like staying out of things but they are fighting their own fight and they have been fighting their own fight plus there is dissension within sleepless ranks and so there's also like infighting. So not only are they fighting an external war that they must be perfectly stealthy about, yes. so adding a layer of difficulty, but then they also have internal conflict to deal with. That's a lot of conflict. I feel Masaka. Get out of there. Definitely, That's a lot. Yeah, definitely hop out of that circumstance because it creates tension, it creates conflict, and I think that as the temperatures rise on Rashar, especially, you know, as Odium is now maybe more directly clashing with the people of Rashar and the Knights Radiant, you have that Cold War that's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, yeah. which makes sense as a perfect time to bail. You're probably growing up in this society, Masaka would be witnessing all of this tension, but also like recognizing it as a cold tension in the background but then as things heat up she's just like nah nah i ain't for this and if you ever make a mistake if you're not stealthy enough and humans see you as a sleepless yeah i imagine you're not getting a great reaction from most people they probably you know scream and disgust and like try to kill you and stuff so (laughs) that i think also just adds to masaka's desire and fear here, desire to be just one thing, to just be human, and fear of anyone knowing that she's anything other than human. It is interesting to note that her desire to be human and to eventually get to a point of kind of stasis as a human also led to her evolution of ability. She said she took decades, or no, excuse me, she took generations of breeding to make a single human face for her to occupy or to you know exist through but by the time we see her as masaka she has kind of given up learning sleepless abilities yeah instead she has dedicated herself to learning human things like painting however even though she is mostly living as a human she does send out hordlings 
uh, when she first arrived on the planet, she sent out hordlings to sort of get the lay of the land of Kamashi, which is how she's able to help Yumi and Painter and Design put this map together. And we learn something about uh, these sleepless hordes from Design, quote, Hordes have incredible spatial awareness, comes from having bodies that can spread out to the size of a nation. Her guess will be more accurate than most people's instrument-measured surveys, end quote. We also see the fact that Masaka, Design, and Hoyd remain in contact after the events of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, giving them updates on Kamashi as well as Painter and Yumi's relationship. So cute. I love that she like has little pen pals. <laughs> That's what I really want. And for she can just like be herself with them because they know she's a sleepless, but they like don't judge her for it. And are not spoiling the secret. In yeah. Any way. Yeah. I think it is said that she gets a little bit more comfortable, like with people knowing what she actually is as yes. time passes. But I just I love that for her. That's our big three world hoppers. But let's talk about some of the other Cosmere Connections. Yeah, our little grab bag of a few tidbits that were quite fascinating. We see, for example, language or linguistic connections to other planets. One of the most obvious being the honorific Nimi being added to several words. Yes, obviously we've seen this with Nightblood and... Zeth. Yes, uh, where he calls... Nightblood sword Nimi, and it is this honorific suffix. So my question is, how do these connect? Did the Shin learn this from Kamashi? Did Kamashi learn it from the Shin? Do they share a parent language? Were they at one point one people? I don't think that that's right because they have very different physical aspects. But the idea that maybe they share a parent language, I think, is somewhat compelling. Yeah, the question of like a parent language, is Kamashi the parent language? We've barely even talked about Utol being in this and the Shodel. Right, right. So is that the parent language? And then this is further complicated by another vocabulary word, a Cosmere vocabulary word, so to speak, that shows up. Uh, the people of Kamashi use my pawn sticks, which are, you know, basically chopsticks. But we have seen my pawn sticks before in the Rose Empire on Cell. Um, the people of the Rose Empire, like Shy, Shy. use my pawn sticks, as do the Jindo on Cell. And the Maipan are described as looking a little bit more similar to Painter and Yumi with darker skin and like fine features. But then it's like, okay, so where did these people's language come from? Did it come from Cell or did it come from Roshar? Or is this all from some parent language of Yolin? Like, who knows? It's definitely difficult to pinpoint an origin as. We don't have the timeline. and we Or are they picking up all of these things from world hoppers, from people coming to their planet? Like, that's what I think. Did someone bring my pawn sticks with them and then just give them to the people of Kamashi and were like, hey, you can eat with, with these little sticks. Here's how you do it. They're my pawn sticks. And then they just adopt it? To me, that actually makes more sense as Kamashi is such this weird place that has been visited but doesn't have a lot of capability to change over time right because of the shroud and yeah. the way that everything exists so if you had a visitor from an outside world in the distant past they might have been able to have what should have been a small impact but then the yeah. shroud happens locking them into that same pattern over and over and then you get the whole culture adopting one thing. I like this idea. I like this idea of sort of everything on Kamashi being secretly influenced by world hoppers that they don't know are world hoppers. Because another thought that I have had that I keep forgetting to mention on the podcast is like, what do we think about the idea that the father machine or at least the inspiration for the father machine came from off world? In the same way that the people of First of the Sun 
are given, like seeded with these technological things that they then reverse engineer and figure out new technologies from. Because it seems very strange that a world that is as agrarian and what we would call primitive as the world we see Yumi living in would also have such an incredible machine without any visible steps to get there. You know, like how did they go from these relatively simple or at least simple to make in a certain way fabrials to completely building from scratch this big machine that clearly they didn't know how to operate super well. And so I really wonder if at least a seed of that machine came from an off-worlder and the idea of even building an invested machine with a command came from an off-worlder. Well, I have, of course, some speculation for that. Okay, tell me, tell me. I think that we get a hint about what may have been influencing the father machine, as you just laid out, in Design and Hoyd's eventual plan to escape Mm off-world. They say that they are hoping to hitch a ride on one of the local spaceships, like Space Bus, and hopefully get to Iron 7 Way Station. Our speculation is that the way stations of the name Iron 7 are Skadrian way stations. Right. Yeah, you would imagine that there would be this whole system almost like a bus system you right know? With bus stops <laughs> yeah where you've got like the iron line and then the tin line etc <laughs> etc et and so the iron stop would be where they're going and they can like hop to a different place but it seems to make sense that that would be built by the scadrians and so i don't think it's crazy to imagine we have a similar situation to what we saw play out on First of the Sun, where the Skadrians arrive in the Utol Kamashi system, maybe more interested in Utol. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not even really knowing that Kamashi is there, so to speak. Yeah. But they eventually bestow a metallic machine that is able to accomplish something great, something wonderful. And then the people of Kamashi want to copy that and do so eventually leading to the building of the father machine like you said kind of reverse engineering yeah or i it could have been like a meeting of scholars you know like some group silverlight of, scholars of scholars yeah silverlight scholars or nolthian scholars are hopping around the cosmere they've got space travel they come to Kamashi, meet some Kamashi scholars, right? And then they're like, hey, we're here to learn. Like, what can you teach us? And and we'll learn from you and you'll learn from us. And this is a great little teaching opportunity as scholar type people do. Yeah. And it's a machine we have to remember that its main purpose is simply to draw energy, draw energy through and via the spirits, right? That's like the main purpose of the father machine. Stack rocks attract spirits, make energy. Cool. If you were a scholar visiting a more primitive or just a different culture, one of the first things that you might bestow upon them as like a gift of like, hey, I don't know if you were aware of this, but energy can be created. You know, maybe let's say uh, in our world, it would be something like coal can be burnt in this way to create a factory. Oil can be discovered by drilling, you know, in certain spots along the planet, and you can do X, Y, Z with that. A scholar could show up and say, we have a way to make energy, and you should find your way of making energy. Right. And all the other scholars are like, that's a really good idea. We need energy to, like, advance. I mean, literally, even just if someone showed up and told them, like, it's possible to create a machine that runs on investiture, and then you just give Mm -hmm. it a command, and it does what you want it to do. Right. They say something simple like that. And then the scholars of Kamashi are like, "Okay, cool. Like we can. can Yeah, we can figure that out. But clearly they didn't have all of the they they needed a mentor. They needed an intergalactic mentor to help them through this process. And they were really let down by the interstellar community. (laughs) Yeah. As is so often the case, the people who were actually doing the like 
transit from place to place are not the best ambassadors. Yeah. Oftentimes, as old world meeting new world, the Columbian Exchange brought a lot of like disease and death across the oceans. And maybe the best ambassadors were the people sitting back on the other continents going like, nah, it's fine over here. Like I'm I'm happy, you know, being the ambassador to France or whatever country was operating yeah. at that time. Just be like, it's chill. I don't need to go across the ocean on a wooden ship for six months risking blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the people who are willing to do that and maybe the people who are willing to go through Iron 7 way station are not the best ambassadors. They're like, hey, don't know if you guys know this, but like, energy is free if you can channel your investiture figure it yeah. out peace out especially and... if they are arriving to try to gain something from the planet exactly i could see them showing up on kamashi and being like there's not really anything here from us for us we're way advanced beyond this so like we'll give the locals this little present quote unquote and then like bye and it's like their version of a malaria blanket <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the world hoppers the visitors the potential like inspirations uh and for a lot of the bad stuff that happens on kamashi coming from off world but we also have to say that it's very strange to me that utol is a very prominent system in the cosmere history or timeline is it well just that it's mentioned as being the home of the shodel and those people are well it's not the home of the shodel there's just shodel living there that's a good point there's shodel all over the cosmere though and their home and, is yolan is on yolan and so you have these people who are as old as hoid who are living on utol we don't know that they're as old as hoid they could be having babies this whole time they're just i'm not descended. saying the individuals yeah i'm not saying the individuals i'm oh, saying oh, okay the shodel as a species yeah has existed since before the shattering yes they are on utol to me that makes utol very important because it's one of the homes of a race of people that has existed in a seemingly unbroken line mm -hmm. unlike everyone else we know in the cosmere there's maybe the listeners that you could say are comparable on rashar maybe something going I mean, on with humans. The there's definitely humans yeah but like all of the humans on the planets now are impacted by the shards in those systems. But they are descended from humans from Yolan. Well, some of them anyway. Some of them yeah. are humans from Yolan. Yeah. Some of them are straight up created. Like all the Skadrians yeah. are just are created. Yes. Golems out of the earth <laughs> of ruin and preservation. But I think it's just notable that the Shodel are on this planet Utol. Seemingly, they got there from Yolan. So yeah. they have the ability to transit planets. Yeah. And then they're in a binary planetary system with Kamashi and yet are not visiting all the time. And this question was brought up on the 17th shard by user Oltuck72, great friend of ours, basically asking, why was Kamashi uncontacted? And I think first we should go to a quote from Hoy during that like exposition dump towards the end of the book yeah i mean the basic answer is that they were contacted after uh kilihito the city successfully sends a mission to utol and meets the shodel we get quote they were not alone in the cosmere it's an important revelation for a society second only to realizing that the rest of us have been visiting for quite some time now but never got around to explaining end quote that's what I think is so interesting is that they may have been visited. They had all of this activity probably going on around them. Yeah. And nobody bothered to explain to the people of Kamashi what was happening. Yeah. I mean, why would you? If you're not part nice. of an official dispatch, if you're just kind of a one-off here and there, like, who wants that responsibility to be like, hey, let me explain this entire Cosmere thing to you and like tell you about space travel and tell you about all the other... Like, no, people are just going to go blend in, do what they need to do, take their vacation, whatever, and then get <laughs> out. Like, no one wants to have that hard conversation if it's just you, if you're not there as literally part of an envoy to enlighten the people of Kamashi. That's what I'm saying. I'm a fan of the United Cosmere Nations. I want ambassadors to be sent to everyone. I think that there needs to be a lot I more. I don't know. I respect people's ability to just like drop in, blend in, go about their business, don't screw anything up. 
What is of note and brought to the attention by another user from the 17 Shard, Wander Nearby, who says, quote, my guess is that the reason that they were uncontacted by the Shodell is because the Shodell need or greatly desire a similar ocean to sail on. Utol is completely covered in oceans, and the only other Shodell we see on screen was a sailor in the Lost Metal, end quote. I think this is great knowledge to remember about the Shodel, at least on Utol, and seemingly they have an affinity for the oceans. And yeah. from Yumi's perspective or knowledge, she says that the planet is so hot and she knows of no oceans. Yeah. And so it's possible that in the period of time when the Shodel on Utol could have traveled over to Kamashi, they looked at it and were like, no oceans, no thank you. I don't know if they would have even seen Kamashi or if the shroud would be hiding it from anyone like seeing it. You can see out, but you can't see back in. Right. And maybe world hoppers like Hoyd or Skadrians who are really familiar and practiced can go there simply because they know it's there. They're scanning like dark space matter. And nobody else can see sure. it, but they ha- they pick up something that yeah. the shroud isn't like covering up. Or, I mean, again, depending on the timeline, they may have mapped this system mm-hmm. before the shroud, and then they can just find that point in their navigation, go to the point. Like, they know it's there. They don't have to see it. Right. They can just go towards those coordinates. Maybe. No, I definitely think that, yes, from my understanding of physics, that should be very possible because <laughs> we do that here with our dumb monkey brains on Earth all the time when we're basically measuring the effect of gravity and then assuming a planet right. or other celestial body exists, Is there, even though we can't see it. Context clues. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. And so, yes, maybe they are using context clues to find Kamashi. But then my question like Oltox 72, why didn't the Shodell do that? Because they can't see it. They don't know what's there. But they can travel through space. They can also, they? Yeah. Well, can these people who exist on Utol right now travel yeah. through space? I don't know. They but could the Shodell come... are not from Utol. They travel. But they could have come to Utol through the cognitive realm because Ooh. we have seen them okay, travel nice. the cognitive realm. They didn't ever travel. There's a lot of people showing up a lot of places with no spaceships, my friend. And because this is a system with a shard in the past. Right. Virtuosity would have existed. We should expect virtuosity having shard pools. And I believe specifically it was said that virtuosity existed in the system, Mm -hmm. not like specifically on Kamashi. Right. So theoretically, her influence would have been felt on Utol as well. Utol could have been the major planet that felt her influence and Kamashi only a secondary planet. Or it could have shifted over time, whereas like... We, we don't know the timeline. They could have been even. She could have loved both of her children the same, which is why they're in a dual orbit. <laughs> what we do know is that Utol operates as kind of this beacon, this inspiration yeah. for the people of Kamashi, even within the Shroud, even with all the difficulty of their it civilization. It is the only light. Well, supposedly, it is the only light that pierces through the Shroud. If that light comes from Utol or not, we don't actually know. And we... Yeah, we don't know the source necessarily of that light. Is that like a virtuosity gift, a last gasp type of thing of their power? We don't know. But this concept of a lighthouse through the shroud, I do think is Mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this brings me to my last sort of Cosmere vocab word for the week, (laughs) which is that in the book, there is uh, a word that's sort of translated from us. Yumi and Painter go to a carnival, and Hoyd lets us know that they don't actually use the word carnival, but, quote, the word they do use roughly translates in your language to place of a million lights. Their term for workers there? Light keepers end quote. And that just binged in my head because it reminded me of Reno, our lighthouse keeper in Oathbringer. 
No clue if they're related at all, but it's just something, a connection that was made in my brain. And so here it is in our Cosmere Connections. I think the existence of Reno in a lighthouse, the fact that our heroes, you know, go to the lighthouse and the concept of light keepers in this world that's so reliant on a single beacon of light all of it probably means something that i just can't quite grasp at this point and the silver light that is coming through the shroud i'm not gonna let it go people i'm not gonna let it go no one likes this theory but i love it i think what we can say for sure and with confidence is that Yumi and the Nightmare Painter is a relatively simple story. It's a love story. It's about two people meeting, you know, across worlds, coming together. Making each other better people, balancing each other out. But at the same time, Brandon is weaving in a whole bunch of Cosmere aspects. World Hopper's spiritual cognitive and physical realm aspects we're learning about investiture machines different awakened abilities and like what that can be and the damages that can come from that spiritual realm connections and what they can accomplish and then also space travel in through the physical world which we expect to be a huge part of the cosmere going forward all of this just sets me up with even more excitement to dive deeper into Secret Project 4. Really, really cannot wait to get this book club underway. So we're going to sign off now so that we can uh, go read. Yeah? Join us (laughs) in the reading. I think it's going to be so fun to break down Secret Project number four. We'll do that in the same vein, kind of a lot of first reactions, first theorizing. I do love the concept, though, of revisiting all of the secret projects. And doing a debrief. I do believe there's going to be a Cosmere drought of sorts before the eventual release of Stormlight 5. Yeah. And so I know. we might be putting a reread of the secret projects, <laughs> not necessarily a episode by episode breakdown, but, you know, kind of incorporating all that we learn across all of the secret projects. Yeah. Into- I think maybe doing like a, you know, crazy man with a theory board with strings and tacks sort of episode uh, with all of the secret projects could be cool. But then also I've got to put on our roadmap. We have done a Skyward book club on this podcast and we're getting a new Skyward book soon. So I think we got to do we got to do a defiant book club for this last installment. I absolutely agree. I think that we will have a lot of fun with our Secret Project Number 4 book club here on Patreon. The main feed will be releasing Yumi episodes over the next few weeks. And you, the very special patrons, get ready for Secret Project Number 4. We're excited about it. We've loved all of the participation, thoughts, and theories that have been thrown out throughout this book club. Keep them coming as you read through the next Secret Project. And let's finish this year strong. Sanderson strong. Sanderson strong. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 